0: I have the privilege to uh, to finish out our series on bridges. If you're taking notes this morning, I'd have you write down, please, true community. True community. How many of you realize that with the notable exception of a few predators, the vast majority of the animal kingdom, much like humanity itself, desires community? Even, if you think about it this way, even animals that don't have our you know, our same level of higher thinking... They all know to gather together. There's safety in numbers, right? More than just that, mankind, for thousands upon thousands of years, has understood the value of developing more than just the nuclear family. Now, i got to be honest with you. I married my best friend. Anybody in here like that? You married your best friend? When I was young and dumb, I thought that marrying my best friend meant that I wouldn't need other friends. Now, of course, you know, you never think to yourself, I can't wait to not have friends, of course, right? But at the same time, I was thinking, I'm marrying my best friend, therefore, I shouldn't need community the way I've needed it in the past. But the reality is, is that as beautiful and fantastic and amazing and incredible as my wife is, she can get shrill sometimes. (laughs) My point is, my point is that ultimately, even, even if you've married someone that you're, that's just the most amazing person in the world like I have, I've got to tell you, you need more than just your family. You need a community. You need more than just a family. You need a community. You know, there's an old saying that it takes a village to raise a child. Now, I didn't really understand that as much when I was a kid, but as a parent, I'm starting to understand it a lot more. Now, on one hand... I think sometimes what happens is is that there there are times where when people get around my children, they sometimes notice faults like fault lines in their character that maybe I have passed over and need to correct. But to be honest with you, more often than not what happens is that people that get around my kids remind me of how wonderful they are. Like as a parent, have you ever you ever found yourself thinking more about what your kids are doing wrong than what they're doing right? because their faults are like right here before you but it's amazing how many times I send my you know my kids over to somebody's house or you know we, we hear back from you know various places there that the, how you know how great they are and how wonderful they are and I'm like man you guys saved up all the good stuff for somebody else's house <laughs> but you make me look good so that's good that's good The point is, is that the fiber of our being is the need for an extended type of of family, a community that we can enter into and serve together, grow together, and be together. One of the core values of our house is that this house is home. Listen, I got to tell somebody, I love services, I love sermons, I love worship, I love all the stuff we do, but can I tell you the truth? God is not building a hype machine, he's building a family. In fact, this is the big idea. God isn't building an organization. He's fashioning a family. He's not building an organization. Now, to be fair, there's organizational stuff that happens within families, right? There, you know, There's all types of administration that we don't recognize as administration that is in fact administration. And yet at the same time, you don't look at your family and say, wow, what a beautiful organization I've created. No, you look at your family and you say, wow, I love this family. When I see our church, I don't view myself as a CFO. I don't see my dad, who's our senior pastor, a lead pastor, as a CEO. I see us as part of a family. There are organizational things that happen within within every family, but we have got to be careful that we don't view the church as an organization. We view it as a family. True or False. You can be part of a family and never be at family gatherings. That's true. I mean, to be to be honest, I could never talk to my dad again and I would still positionally be his son. But the problem with knowing that I can effectively cut off my relationship with my dad and still be a son is that I don't reap any of the benefits of being a son when I don't have a relationship with my father. I might know that I have a father somewhere, But if I'm not actually engaged in relationship with him, then I don't get what he has. In practicality, if I'm not part of what the family is doing, I'm not reaping the benefits of what the family is doing. Listen, I've said this for a long time, and I'll probably keep saying it until you're so tired of it that you shout me down when I say it, okay? I am not interested in a big church. I'm interested in big people. I'm not, I, I, whether this church grows bigger or grows smaller, I don't care because the ultimate, the ultimate status of health is how healthy you are spiritually. You know, I've been, over the course of my life, I've been a member of quite a number of different churches, both larger and smaller. And I've seen two distinct dangers that have to be avoided. The first one in, in smaller churches, Smaller churches can tend to have what I call a tendency towards the remnant syndrome, where effectively, when they see a church across town grow or, you know, they see somebody else being successful, it's a result of the watering down of the gospel. Oftentimes, really what it is, is it is a commitment to doing the same thing over and over and over. I actually knew a a church once, not, not from this community, but it was an older congregation, they... Uh, their, their lead pastor retired, and so they hired a new pastor. They were really excited, and when he came in, he started preaching the gospel. And he started encouraging people to evangelize and reach out. And they fired him. Within about six or eight months. Because what they really wanted him to do was not challenge them. What they really wanted him to do was continue to speak on the end times constantly. See, larger churches... The danger can be that it's a lot easier to slip in, check your Jesus box for the week, sit in the back. No, no offense to back sitters. <laughs> That's a proverbial sitting in the back. You can be sitting in the back if you're up front, to be honest with you. <laughs> to slip in, check your Jesus box for the week, and slip out largely undetected. listen, I went through a season of my life where that was my church attendance. I went to a pretty big church. I sat in the back. I listened to a pretty good sermon that I knew I wasn't going to put into practice during the week. And ultimately, it was because I wanted to be able to tell my mom and dad, yeah, I'm going to church. Can I tell you how effective that was in changing my life? It wasn't. Listen to this. This is Proverbs 18:1. I want you to listen to this and then be convicted. Oh, I buried the lead on that one, didn't I? Anyway, so here it says, "One who isolates himself pursues um, you know, nothing, really. You know, just he's fine. He's probably a nice guy. No, it says, "One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom." I love the way that the ESV puts this. It actually says that he breaks out against all counsel. I am what you might call an introverted extrovert, which means that I'm pretty good in crowds, but I'm very, very comfortable sitting in a chair and reading a book by myself with no one around. I have absolutely no problem being alone. However, I'd like to point out That, even though that might be part of my personality, my personality cannot be an excuse for me to continue to isolate. My person, I cannot allow that to say, well, I'm just a private person. I'm just a very private person. No, you're isolating yourself. Listen, I got to tell somebody in the room you do not grow in isolation, you grow in community. isolation is a trap isolation is a trap you know i don't know is is anybody like me did you did you grow up watching like those nat geo videos of lions all the time i loved lions it's why it's why i have an innate hatred of hyenas (laughs) because i like i'm not i'm not kidding i thought that lions were morally good right like i was like lions good hyenas bad right Also, the Lion King taught me that. (laughs) And the thing is, is that every time that I would watch these videos, right, like I would think to myself, man, I I, I identified with the lion like I was the lion. If I was going to be anything, I would be the lion in this narrative. Can I tell you what we really are? We're the antelopes. (laughs) We're the ones running from lions. Can can I remind you which ones get killed first? It's the ones that get isolated. It's the ones that have gotten cut out from the herd that get killed by lions or worse, hyenas. If I'm going to get eaten, it's going to be by a lion. (laughs) Way better going down. Way better. The fact is, you can be isolated in a large crowd as much as you can be isolated alone in a room. See, I'd mentioned just a minute ago that I have to fight my introvertedness. Can I tell you the fight for extroverts? The fight for extroverts is that everybody knows you, but nobody knows you. Is that you can get into a room and you're the life of the party, but the reality is is that unless you're vulnerable and you let somebody else talk, nobody's going to know you. You can be as extroverted as anybody you've ever known and still be absolutely alone. This is going to be a pretty simple message today. None of what I'm going to tell you is going to be a huge surprise. But you know, I noticed something, Jason, when I came back from my, my sabbatical. Dude, there were a lot of people in here I'd never seen before. I was just like, oh wow. Hello, new people. <laughs> but, but part of the reason I felt like the Lord put this word on my heart is because sometimes in a like in any or like in any church in any, you know, whatever it is, there's there can be this feeling of like, how do I get in? Yeah. Like I'm here, right? But how do I get in? How do I be known? How do I get to be part of the community? Let me give you a couple of things. Number one, regularly attend. Regularly attend. You know, 50 years ago, I've, I've, I've used this, this, uh, this particular study a number of different times, but 50 years ago, if you were to ask the average churchgoer, what does it mean to be a normal attendee, a regular attendee of church? What they would say is that at minimum, it would be four times a month, which if you're counting means every weekend. Now, if you were really righteous, you'd show up for the Wednesday night prayer and then the Sunday night revival too, okay? (laughs) But that same question was asked to millennials, which, guilty, millennial. That same question was asked to millennials, what does it mean to regularly attend church? Their answer was between one to two times every six weeks. One to two times every six weeks. Like, we can binge watch Netflix three hours every single night, but we can't make it to church except once every six weeks. Listen, i got to be honest with you. If you ate every six weeks, you would not be healthy. In fact, if you only eat one time a week, you're probably not going to be healthy. But still, you're going to be healthier. Listen to this. I would, I would contend this. I would contend that part of the problem of church attendance is most people don't know why they're attending. They think they're coming for themselves. And so what ends up happening is, if I've had a really good week, I might go to church because I want to worship because God was really good to me. If I had a really bad week, I might not go and worship because, oh man, it's been so busy, and you know, I did this, and I did that, and this happened. But friend, i got to tell you this. Biblically speaking, you are not here for you. You're not here for you. Listen to this. This is in uh, Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 and 10. It says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people, listen, listen, for God. For God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. Can I tell you why we gather It's not because we all had a bad week and we need to get our worship on. Although that may be not a terrible idea. It's not because you had a good week and so you feel like you need to give God some thanks. It's not because you're trying to become a better person and so coming to church is going to be good for you. Can I tell you that if you are in Christ in this building, which means that if you're a Christian, you are a priest to God. Your primary, your primary place, your primary goal in life is actually to minister to God. See, many of us think that what's happened is I got saved because I had a lot of sin in my life and God is making me a better person. Yeah, he saved you from your sin. I would imagine that walking with God is going to make you a better person, but that's not why you were ransomed you were ransomed to become a priest. Whoa, listen, you have a job to do, friend. See, what happens is sometimes we show up at church and all we want to do is consume because we don't know why we got saved. Listen, every single person in this building who calls Jesus your Messiah, you have a job to do today. And that job is to minister to the Spirit of God. How many of you recognize that there is a difference between purpose and assignment? See, you might be a public school teacher. Maybe that's your assignment. You really feel called by the Lord to teach in the public school system. That's awesome. But that's not your purpose. Your purpose is to minister to the king. Let me put it to you this way. Your purpose is to minister to a king. Your assignment is to show that king to the world. Your purpose is to minister to a king, but your assignment is to show that, pre- to show that king to the world. Maybe I'll put this in a, in a different light. Being part of the community is also about valuing what your community values. You know, I've lived in, in, in a number of different places. Have you ever noticed that, like, every town is different? Even if they're, like, just down the road? Same. I mean, you could be generally the same demographic. I remember when I was 16 years old, I moved from Okanagan, Washington to McCall, Idaho. Okanagan was a football town. I mean, it was like Friday night. Friday night, everyone shows up at the field. Like adults are getting into fights over a high school football game. And not because they're yelling at the refs, because they genuinely hate the people from the next town. Like I remember football football being really, really exciting. And then I moved to McCall. <sighs> Let me, okay. It was the worst. I remember, <laughs> I remember my, first, like my, my first football game, like half the stands were empty. Like there was zero adult fights. I, I thought to myself, man, this town really doesn't care about football, right? <laughs> All it cared about was, I don't know, snow or something. You yeah, know, the point was, Every place that I've ever been to has a different feel. It's like the longer that you stay there, the longer you stay there, you you begin to to understand what this community actually values. And to be quite honest with you, what the community values ends up being part of the reason you either stay or move. Can I tell you what we value as a community here? Worshiping God. Like really worshiping God. Listen, if that's not your flavor, I don't know, man. You're going to have a tough time here. Because we're people that understand what we're doing. Let me tell you, we're not just singing Jesus karaoke on a Sunday morning. We are ministering to the Spirit of God. We are asking Him to come into our presence so that we can give Him praise. It's not about me. My praise does not, is not dictated by whether I've had a good week or a bad week because it's not based upon what has been given to me. My praise is based upon my purpose. Listen, the truth is, for the most part, culture is caught more than it's taught. It's caught more than it's taught. What that means is that I can tell you all day long till I'm blue in the face. This is what our church does. This is what our community values. But ultimately, it's up to you to actually walk in it. And to catch something, you have to be around it enough to get it. Number two, we're going to move right along. (laughs) Serve regularly. (laughs) I'm going to say that again. Serve regularly. Look, listen, Luke 22, Luke 22, verses 25 to 27, it says, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but it is not so with you, rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader is one who serves for who is the greater one who reclines at table or one who serves. Is it not the one who reclines at table? And then this is what Jesus says this. He says, but I am among you as the one who serves. But I am among you as the one who serves. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having like being around Jesus and all he wants to do is serve you. What he's communicating to his disciples, what he's communicating to his disciples, is that the house that he is building will be known not for its consumption but its service. Listen. The reality is that families grow together not just by consumption or vacation, but by working together. Yeah. Listen. Some of my most formative memories of my dad, and to be like, I'm going to say this really brief. He's not dead. Okay, he's right here. <laughs> I said that in the first service, and I was like, it sounds like I'm talking about it in the past tense. Anyway, <laughs> some of my most formative memories of my dad weren't when we were on like, you know, a family vacation or a fishing trip or something like that. It was when. We were doing a project together. I mean, mundane things like chopping wood. And the reason is, is because there is a camaraderie in work that cannot be replaced with vacation. There's a camaraderie in work that cannot replace, it can't be replaced by handshakes and small talk. Ultimately, there is a... Obviously, you know, vacations, all that kind of stuff, all of those things contribute. But if you don't have something as a family where you're serving together, you're going to miss a key component of real growth. Huh. You want to know when you're really close to someone, it's when you can go over to their house for dinner and feel comfortable helping them clean. See, most of us, you know, we, we, we have a couple, Severn and Ruth are, uh, are, are really close to us and um, you know when, when, when other people come over to our house like I feverishly clean for like two hours so that when they walk in I can be like sorry about the mess guys <laughs> <laughs> but when, when Ruth and Severin come over like I don't really care because they're <laughs> they're not work you know what I'm saying? Like the, the the ultimate reality is is that the comfort level that you have when 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 you're such good friends with somebody that you can do that is is this that family shares the load. Like it, it doesn't make me uncomfortable to tell my son to go like wash the dishes. I'm not like oh my gosh, what's he gonna think of me if I ask him to wash the dishes? He's family, dude. You live here, you know. But in the same way, I want to encourage you. That kind of relationship is possible. In fact, it's presumed. By calling the church a family, that kind of relationship is presumed in Scripture. And number three, this is the last thing I'm gonna bring in for a landing. This is actually gonna be a pretty early one today. You're welcome. to watch the Seahawks game. <laughs> Acts chapter two, verses forty seven or forty-two to forty-seven. Says and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship I had a conversation with Mary Poizel. This is, a, I, I can't even remember how long ago it was, Mary. It was it's at least a year ago. Um, and I had asked her, I don't know if you've, if you've ever met any of the Poizel children. They're like the closest siblings I have ever seen in my life. And, I, my, and my brother is like my best friend. So like, this is saying something. These kids are like, wow. I remember asking Mary, how did you do that? Like, how did you, like, how, you know, usually what you find in, you know, kind of larger-ish families is that, you know, a couple of the siblings are close and the others aren't close or, you know, they got one black sheep that nobody likes, you know. Um, Sorry if that's you, man. (laughs) But she said this to me. She said, one of the things that we did that was like an ironclad rule in our house is that when one kid was doing something, they were all doing it. Which means, you know, if Tori was doing volleyball, everyone was coming, everyone was celebrating her, everyone was cheering for her. And I remember I had this moment. Is there any soccer parents out here? Soccer? Dude. Wow. Uh, yeah, we, we got all three of our kids in soccer this last year, and it is wild. We had three different practice schedules, three different game schedules. It was, it was the worst. Anyway, one particular day... Um, it was a Saturday. All the kids like the games were spread out. It was like nine o'clock, one o'clock, and like four o'clock. And we live in Newport, so it was basically just a day of like doing soccer, then driving home, then doing soccer, then driving home, then doing soccer, driving home. By the way, I'm sorry. They were in Priest River, so it's just like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And by <laughs> but four o'clock game, which was Avery's game, which if you've ever seen six-year-old soccer, not like the most intense sport there's no goalie they don't keep score it's just a bunch of little kids running around and kicking a ball okay and my oldest son asked me dad can I just stay home because he's kind of at an age where he can start like staying home and and I remembered what Mary said I was like no but you got to do what the family's doing you got to be part of this and Here's your yearly reminder that the events that we do, the small groups that we promote, I don't do these things for my health. Like Men's Summit, that is a long weekend for me. Bloom is a long weekend for our women's team. Like Men on Fire, that's a long weekend for me. That's not even my event, I'm just like partnering with it. Like Women on Fire, I woke up at five o'clock in the morning one time to make biscuits and gravy for like 200 women. I didn't do that because I thought to myself, you know what I need? More stuff to do. (laughs) No, I do these things and our church promotes these things for your sake. Because I get how, how hard life is and I know that we need people. I know that you need to have encounters with God outside of just a Sunday morning. I know that you need mountaintop experiences because the valley's coming. I know that you need these things and so that's why we do them. Friend, I gotta tell you, Listen to this, Acts 4.31. It says, and man, this is a crazy passage of scripture, but I want you to read this. It says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Listen, just reading this gives me goosebumps, right? What would it have felt like if I was actually there? Let me put to you a different way. Sometimes when our dudes come back from Summit or Men on Fire, and, and and you're the guy that skipped out on the event the whole year running, you get the goosebumps from some guy who brought a great testimony, but you weren't in the room. Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you, some of you I'm gonna tell you this as an older brother in the faith. Some of you I'm gonna tell you this as a younger brother in the faith. Others I'm gonna tell you this as a middle-aged brother in the faith. I don't know. But listen. I have been absolutely marked by the presence of God. I've been absolutely marked in moments like Men's Summit, in moments like Men on Fire, but I gotta tell you that the reason I was marked is because I showed up. You have to be present to win. You have to be in the room to get it. Do what the family is doing. Listen, I fully agree that God is omnipresent, but I cannot deny that over and over and over in scripture, what is revealed to me is that God meets people in places. Listen, he even meets them ahead of time to send them to a place so that he can meet them there. You guys remember the, the story of the prophet Elijah? God comes to him in the moment where he's like downtrodden, like his whole life is falling apart. The Lord comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he says, well, you know, Everybody's abandoned you, Lord. I'm the only one faithful left. And God says, okay, I want you to go to the mountain of the Lord. I'm going to meet you there. Why? You're already talking to him. You're already talking to him. Why didn't you? And you know what's crazy? He goes goes on a 30-day journey just for God to tell him the same thing that he already told him. The moment he gets to the mountain, he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? You told me to go here. Listen, I gotta tell somebody, we don't do these events because we just need more stuff to do. We don't tell you to go to a small group because we just need more people in our small groups. Can I tell you why I want you to be in a small group? Because I actually want you to grow. Because I recognize there's only, there's a certain amount of growth that comes from church attendance. And then there's a growth that can only come through really doing life with people. And there are things that happen in small group that can't happen here. Jason, let me ask you a question. How many lifelong relationships have you had or developed with one single five minute conversation? None. Imagine that. How does a relationship start? How does it be, how is it sustained? It's sustained through work. An investment and in time. Listen, connecting with the family, connecting with the church—really, let's be honest with you—is not typically all that difficult. It's really not. What it takes is investment, work, and vulnerability. Investment, work, and, invul- and vulnerability. Well, Pastor, I tried out a small group and wasn't really a fit. Try again, my guy. How many of you swore off women because you had one bad relationship? How many of you swore off men because you had one bad one? No, the reality is, is that you recognize that relationship is worth it and so you keep trying until you find the right fit. Am I right? I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people tell me Man, God told me to go to some, or men on fire, summer camp or church, and he actually met me there. Well, yeah. I mean, if you had a friend tell you, hey, on Saturday, let's meet up for coffee at Newport Pie at 9 a.m., you're not going to fall out under the power of God when they walk through the door. When God tells you he's going to meet you, he's going to meet you. When you go expecting, you're going to find something. Can I tell you? I'm about to go a little deep here. Can I tell you sometimes why Sunday morning doesn't always feel like big events? It's not because our worship is different. You notice that? We're doing the same songs. Like, sometimes we have the same speakers, you know? Can I tell you the difference? It's your expectation. It's whether or not you're willing to come into a room expecting God to do something. See, most people that are coming to church, we don't have a perspective that I'm expecting God to move today. What are you expecting when you come to church? Sometimes you're like, well, that's probably going to be a pretty good sermon and this worship will probably be good but when you go up to a summit or a men on fire or something like that you're coming with an expectation what if I told you you could come with an expectation every weekend listen here's my last thing here if this is where God's calling you to be He's calling you not just to a sermon on Sunday. He's calling you to put down roots and grow. That, that kind of is the trap of just attending church. It's like You're like, I'm, I'm called to this church. But really, sometimes what we mean is I'm called to come to this church. Friend, let me tell you, you're called to be planted in the church. It's actually what the Bible says. Let me put this up. This is uh, Psalm 92, 13 to 15. It says, planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courts of our God they will still bear fruit in old age healthy and green to declare the Lord is just he is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him and I want to encourage you this morning if you're not plugged in if you're not planted in this church if this is the church that you feel like God is having is calling you to be in I want to encourage you stop just attending get planted if you really want to find the community you're looking for you have to invest into it and then once you stand on your feet with me God, today I thank you for this wonderful church. Lord, we're so grateful for what you're doing here in this place, and through these wonderful, wonderful people. Lord, as we as we head back into into our week, as we're heading out into our uh, in, into our normal routine, God, I pray that we would be people that are determined to get plugged in, to become part of the community, to become invested in what you're doing here. So Lord, we just pray. God, I pray this morning for a blessing over each person. God, I pray for every person here that you would meet them right where they're at. God, that this would be a week of your presence. God, I pray for their devotional lives. I pray for a blessing over their finances. Lord, I pray that as they seek you this week, Lord, I thank you that your word tells us that those who seek find God, I pray that we would be a people who are seeking after you more than anything. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your good name we pray. Amen.